building nice and tidy it's a rule i learned in school get your money every friday happy endings are the rule so divide up those in darkness from the ones who This is Jennifer Stone with Stones the Row. Ah, Paul Krasner died in July of 2019. I've been thinking about Paul and the old days. Nostalgia ain't what it used to be. Or maybe it is. Um, Paul Krasner was a, a, a satirist, a satirist. Uh, the editor of The Realist. He was a lot of things. Most of all, he was a man of great courage. I think we're a little lacking in courage these days. <laughs> anyway, ah, he got me thinking about how it was back in the day. I remember he published me in The Realist, and it was a big help to me. I was a little insecure at the time, and I was feeling a little bit... Uh, out of it, and he gave me a, a boost, a boost. It was just a, a little uh, epigram. I remember he paid me $15 for it. Uh, I can't find the, the uh, magazine, but I think I remember it. The title of it was Cutting the Mustard. Right, right. Cutting the Mustard. Aha. Uh-huh. Sex... Is like sandwiches. There has to be something in between. <laughs> I, I think what I want to do is to read you uh, a piece written. Oh, um, I haven't got the dates on it. It's been it's been a while, indeed. It has been quite a while. Mm-hmm. It's a book. Uh, well, no, this is. In a magazine, it was uh, a magazine titled Women Write on Sex After 40, so you can imagine how old that is. It was called Angst, or Angst for the Memory. Oh, oh, to be 60 again. These days, I would say, oh, to be 70 again. (laughs) Right. Angst. I'm running out of men who knew me when. You know, when I was thin and desirable and presentable and worth the effort. I remember Henry Miller's line, An old sea is a dead loss. Ah, footnote, I had to use a euphemism. A sea is a dead loss. No, no, dear. Uh, the man seated across from me at the breakfast table says, No, dear, an old dick is a dead loss. <laughs> he, he smiles 
like the satyr he liked to be. Oh, that, as if that were all. It's not about that all the time, I tell him. Are men as obsessed with getting it up as they seem to be? Is that really their measure of manhood? For me, it's the lonely thing. It's thinking that I, I am the only one who will never leave me. I suppose that's a great thought. I thought that if I got married, I would never be lonely. And married was the loneliest I got, being without the one you're with. Sometimes sex is as close as men get. Uh, closeness, intimacy, well, <laughs> that's another thing. When I was young, sometimes, uh, well, I took the sex in place of affection. But my feelings were hurt, and when my emotions were blunted, the orgasm wouldn't come. Maybe that's masochism, a psychological pout. Oh, I tried to keep things simple. <laughs> I told myself, an orgasm a day keeps the psychiatrist at bay. But orgasms are a dime a dozen now. All that really keeps me alive is knowing someone cares whether I live or die. I want to believe that men and women grow more alike as they age. He doesn't always give me what I want. Who could? Well, I could, but that's that's another dimension, another story with him. It's knowing me when. He knew me when, when we were tear-gassed together. We're pieces of the same history, fragments of an age. When I'm feeling frail, he gives me confidence. He reflects my existential aura, helps me to do battle with my dragon, my fear of being all I am. He celebrates my accomplishments, my hero's journey, my grandiose schemes. I need him to take away my doubt and come to the party with me. In the early days, he even read my reviews to his friends. His favorite quote was, uh, She's so down to earth, you have to take your shoes off to read her. <laughs> now, that, that's as good as it gets. Uh, I, I, have to, I have to be grateful. He certainly wasn't like the male chauvinist prig before him. The one that I thought, you know, would change a... Uh, I can't help but regret the shipwreck of that affair. Ah, uh, uh, it was an affair that promised peace, that rekindled, you know, uh, 
the notion that there was a kinder, gentler intimacy only because we'd hurt each other so much in the past. And this time around, I thought, we will be tolerant and humorous. Surely the time has come to forgive. We both know the gentleman with the scythe is sitting at the breakfast table with us, sharing our prunes. This time we will be refined, affectionate. We will protect each other's solitude, maintain a mutual front before the onslaught from without. Rapport will replace romance and our world-weary warmth. <laughs> it will let us hold hands by the hearth. And other hallmark cards. It's a movie myth that age softens, ripens, mellows. In George Bernard Shaw's play, uh, Heartbreak House, the character Captain Shotover calls it, quote, the sweetness of the fruit that's going rotten. I suppose some soften, some turn to stone. I asked myself, why is it that he should be the one who surfaced after all those years? Hmm, even back then, we didn't have much in common, except we were so much alike. Looking back at all those alcoholic spasms we called love affairs in the days of the flowers and the funk, I think we came together because we were, in some way, closet Victorians trying to come out. Once he upstaged me beyond my wildest dreams, he became more myself than I am. But life came along and pickled him. I tried to love a pickle, and he, he wouldn't let me. He just sat and glared. Someone said, Men don't have to leave. They've already left. Desperate for guidance, I went to a feminist seminar, cheerfully titled a Feminar. The question posed was, is sexual intimacy possible without a dominance-submission paradigm? <laughs> well, not at my house. Over coffee, I tried to practice uh, intimacy the New Age way. One New Age order deserves another, but I wish to goddess they'd find a new postmodern phrase for this phase of fascist fragmentation. Mm, I began by telling this man I love to distraction that it's patriarchy which separates us. Patriarchy forbids sharing and closeness. Real men, 
Real men don't give themselves away. Intimacy, he yells. Intimacy is everywhere. Much of it's violent and abusive. I show him Susan Howe's book, My Emily Dickinson. Now, Susan Howe writes that the sad riddle of the world is that sadism breaks down barriers between isolate souls. Wow. Breaks down barriers between isolate souls. Right. The executioner and the executed. <laughs> uh, yes, kissing, kissing your executioner goodbye. Anyway, I ask him, in the middle of our dialogue, I ask him, is that why he's yelling at me? Because violence forces reaction? He tells me I need taking down a peg or two. I am overconfident, he says. He insists I don't listen. He's right about that. If I listen, I feel betrayed. I suppose bad faith is the lot of lovers. He is fallow-centric to a fault. Suddenly, Pesty tells me I don't even understand my own sexual responses. Tells me clitoral stimulation is an infantile form of sexual activity and that the only mature female response can be had in depth. Uh, follow me there, yes. Well, uh, stunned, I decide not to tell him how many years it took me to learn how to adjust or adapt my own sexual needs, responses to his and to other males who think they know what they're doing. Even today, a lot of women struggle to get their sexual needs met, and that's simply because so many men still believe that sex is athletics, <laughs> an athletic affair, you know, uh, they, they don't think of it as a comfort zone. Some, some, of course. The footnote here. New age, new age, guys. They understand, but... Back in the day, I look at this jockocrat, and I tell him simply that the clitoris is analogous to the penis. No go. He puts his trust in the main thrust, and so forth. We get into a fight, quarrel, over the issue of female genital mutilation. You may know that as the excision of the clitoris and other genital tissue in 40 African and Arab countries. Footnote here. See Dr. Nawal Sadawe's book, uh, her first book, 
The Hidden Face of Eve is the one I would recommend. That's Dr. Nawal Sadawe. Anyway, back to the argument with the gentleman <laughs> in the old days. I yell, I yell at him that he can't get it up without an argument. He dismisses my reference books. Yes, uh, not just Nawal El Sadawe's The Hidden Face of Eve, but Phyllis Chesler's book about men. Uh, let's see. Sherry Heights books, The Height Report. Oh, wow. Ah, oh, that's that's a scary one. Mostly Phyllis Chesler's About Men. That'll take the top of your head off. Anyway, he tells me that my sources are tainted, uh, second rate, somehow not to be taken seriously. He will not take knowledge at my hands, right? Thou shalt not learn of a woman. He will not learn of me. That would be against his religion. He is orthodox. His power comes from withholding. He will stick to his guns, whatever I say. He has read his Nietzsche. Footnote here, you remember Nietzsche said, never to go among women without your whip. Uh, I tell myself that after all, one curmudgeon deserves another. I tell him that we don't need to win anymore. We are old and wise. He shrugs this off. My existential angst threatens his nihilistic nausea. I insist there's space for both. <laughs> Duality is destiny. Why, I ask him, now just why can't you make the yes and adjustment instead of always saying no but? When you say no to my reality, is it because it threatens your own I need you to care. If you don't care, my courage fails. I put my hands on his shoulders, and I asked him, what would the world be like if men believed in women? Well, he is not user-friendly. The fascist fun has just begun. I must go along with his mythos, or he will not sleep with me. Now, I used to believe in the truth until I found out what it was. If I throw stones at his glass ass, I will lose him. Flustered by lust and hope, I just went ahead and I just did what I did in the beginning. When I learned to love long ago, male arousal was sacrosanct. I read my D.H. Lawrence. I did as I was told. I worshipped in his temple because I thought that would lead him to mine. I believed the erotic was romantic and that sexual liberation would 
open the door to the rose garden. As I grew older, I learned to love myself. The door to the rose garden became red when I found the rose of Gertrude Stein. Gertrude wrote, quote, Civilization begins with a rose. There you go. Gertrude's rose was a clitoris. The rosebud, the heart of the matter. It is the metaphor for her art. Woman's sexuality is biological fact. It is part of primal elder religious faith. It is the curse of patriarchy. Remember, footnote here, remember that between, what is that, 80 and 90 million women on the globe have suffered genital mutilation. So deep is the fear of female sexuality. Another footnote update that. <laughs> I believe it's 140 million now is the present count. Uh, what would cause what would cause such a deep dread and fear of female sexuality? And of course, uh, the action, the the surgical removal of women's genital tissue is primarily conducted by older women. Anyway, I turned to the man of the moment back in the day, yes. <laughs> the one that is uh, still sitting with me. He's a cheerful one. He still sits at the breakfast table with me. And this one is a comfort to him. And I ask him, what would happen on earth if men and women revered a female principle, both in fact and fiction? What if we worshipped not only that phallic pillar, the tree of life, but the garden, the rose I stammered and stammered? And he puts away his dishes, saying, Oh, I know what's going to happen to me. If I don't get out of your revolving door, I'm not going to get any work done today. So much for the best the guys can do. Their kindness, their kindness sometimes hurts a bit, but I thought of that thinking of Paul Krasner and what a comfort it was back in, oh, the, the late 70s to have some of the men, uh, the liberated men, give us a pat on the back and tell us to keep up the good work, as it were. <laughs> it was, it was a deep, a deep comfort. Uh, I'm looking here now at a book, oh, written in the 70s called Telegraph Avenue Then, a little book that I, uh, I still look at sometimes because it tells me what I was about, what I was all about back in the day, it's an awful lot of, I guess, I guess I'd have to say sadness. Uh, I was not one of the fortunate ones. I, I think 
I think the difficulty is that uh, most of us know that once you really, really, really get to the bottom of things, you are not uh, the same as others. I used to, I used to laugh and say when the arguments pushed us into th- into the wall. I used to just say, "Why, why aren't you me?" Let me go back here. I'm looking in the 1970s at these wonderful, wonderful, (laughs) wonderful spins. Let's see. 1975. There's a young woman on the subway platform, baby on her back, baby on her lap, baby in her belly. Oh, at her age, I hadn't even made it. God. Bless the finger-effing fifties. Oh, dear, oh, dear. (laughs) Yes. It goes on. Party-line feminists overheard in coffeehouse. How's your vagina, dear? Oh, my vagina's okay now, I guess. How's China? Oh, China. Never mind about China. I mean, well, China's got her hang-ups, and I've got mine. Oh, your vagina's in trouble then? I'll say... I mean, even my shrink thinks I'm impenetrable. But he does have hope. Well, no, but I have medical. <laughs> this this section of what is basically uh, a journal goes on. Uh, it's a night in the coffee house. There's a young man reading the Tropic of Cancer and. <laughs> he he says, this Miller's the Messiah, man. Henry Miller, the young woman with him, does not agree. He is your poet, she says. He doesn't speak for me. The young man tells her Miller speaks for everyone. The poet, wrote Henry Miller, is not one who writes verses, but someone who is capable of profoundly altering the world. That is, a messianic mother-sucker like Miller. The young woman asks me, if I don't think that Henry Miller was more narcissistic than messianic. Oh, I tell them Henry Miller was a serious artist and that he did make big changes. His fellow-centrism is more fun than that of D.H. Lawrence, but it's certainly not as poetic. Now, the young man says, yes, right, this is because Henry Miller rejected his mother. D.H. Lawrence loved his. That's what makes the difference, he says. If you don't reject your mother, it impedes your manhood. (laughs) That's the word he used, impedes. Oh, that young woman's name is Karen. She is into poetry and Zen. She rejects Freud and the phallocentrics. She laughs and she says they're a new rock band. She tells the young man, whose name is Steve, that she does not recognize any difference between platonic love and sexual love. She refuses to separate lust from love. 
While Karen gets another cappuccino, Steve asks me, Should we tell her platonic love was Plato's love for boys? <laughs> said, I know. You know a lot at your age. Genital sex is at the bottom of everything. You tell her, he says, she will believe an older woman. <laughs> oh, dear. This page goes on about uh, my faith <laughs> in the new age uh, and how some of us lose our faith now in Zen. I'll go on next week. Next time, I hope you can listen in. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. The Coalition on Homelessness is delighted to invite you to our 19th annual art auction. Art Auction 19, Transforming Art into Action, takes place from 5.30 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Thursday, September 12th at Soma Arts Cultural Center, 934 Brandon Street, San Francisco. The event features a special musical performance from Diana Gamaros and will benefit our work to end homelessness in San Francisco. Learn more about Art Auction 19 and buy tickets at www.artauction19.info.